section ten of seven roman statesmen of the later republic by charles oman this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter five sulla part two when sulla had started from brundisium for greece in the spring of b c eighty seven he had taken with him no more than five of his own veteran legions some thirty thousand men at most and a moderate supply of money he had supposed that he might look for a regular supply of recruits and subsidies from the optimate government which he had left behind him at rome he found the eastern provinces in a desperate condition not only had the whole of asia been lost but the pontic armies had crossed into europe and had overrun the greater part of thrace and macedon the fleet of mithridates had subdued the whole of the cyclades and had sacked the great central emporium at delos where twenty thousand italians are said to have been massacred athens had fallen into the hands of the tyrant aristion a humble imitator and admirer of the pontic king nearly all the smaller states of greece had hastened to do homage to the invaders sentius the governor of macedonia and his legate brutius sura with a handful of roman troops were holding out in thessaly but would certainly have been overwhelmed had not sulla come to their aid the great proconsul had marched south from epirus and recovered part of the western regions of greece as far as delphi and the borders of boeotia when he received the appalling tidings of the outbreak of the new democratic rising in italy and of the treason of cinna many men would have turned back to crush the rebels at home before grappling with the external enemies of the state but sulla thought even more of the danger to the roman empire than of the danger of the optimate party instead of returning to italy he pressed with all vigour the campaign against the generals of mithridates without his help octavius and the senate were lost and at midwinter in b c eighty seven to eighty six he learnt that rome was in the hands of the democrats that his friends had been massacred and that he himself and his chief officers had been declared public enemies and outlawed decrees passed at rome to that effect did not much injure him for his army was thoroughly loyal and not a man left him but the dreadful part of the situation was that he had for the future to depend entirely on his own resources he had no money and no fleet the bulk of greece was in the hands of the king's generals and one hundred thousand pontic troops occupied its chief fortresses but sulla showed no sign of discouragement he paid his legions by the desperate expedient of seizing the temple treasures of delphi and olympia to raise a fleet he sent forth his legate lucius lucullus bidding him appeal to all the smaller powers of the east who were frightened by the conquering career of mithridates but the oriental states were cowed and lucullus at first met with many refusals he could only procure a few galleys from the rhodians and the phoenicians with which he could not make any head against the large pontic fleet the armies and supplies of mithridates continued to pass and repass the aegean without hindrance during the first two years of the war but on land where sulla was at work himself things looked better 
the generals of mithridates were beaten at mount tilphosium in boeotia and pressed back towards athens then the greater part of the greek states sent to ask for terms they had not liked their experiences of the last year while they were under the pontic yoke sulla let them buy safety at a price he wanted money above all things and consented to overlook their treason in consideration of huge fines having secured his rear he proceeded to lay siege to the strongholds of the enemy the city of athens and its port the piraeus they were two fortresses and no longer one for the long walls which had connected them in the days of pericles had disappeared so that their defence was carried out on separate lines the first great episode therefore in sulla's greek campaign of b c eighty seven to eighty six was the double leaguer of athens and the piraeus he had with a very small army for many of his troops were detached in the direction of thessaly to besiege superior numbers in two strong places of which one was perpetually receiving succour from the sea the pontic garrison and the athenians held out with great resolution knowing the massacre that awaited them if they gave way the walls were too strong for roman siege craft and the city had to be starved out while at the same time several attempts to relieve it both from the inland and from the side of piraeus had to be beaten back but sulla never despaired and after many months the garrison of athens grew so weak from famine that they failed to guard the circuit of the walls with sufficient care the romans entered by escalade at a point near the dipylon gate and met with little resistance in the streets sulla allowed his men to plunder the place as a reward for their long endurance in the trenches and to put to the sword many of the citizens when at last he ordered the sack to cease he observed that he spared the living for the sake of the dead that is the degenerate athenians of his own day obtained mercy in memory of pericles and plato march first b c eighty six hardly was athens won when a great army of succour over one hundred thousand strong came down from macedonia driving before it the roman corps which had been detached on the side of thessaly sulla hastened up from athens with reinforcements whereupon archelaus the governor of piraeus came round by sea with his garrison and joined his colleague taxiles the armies met at chaeronea one of the inevitable battle-spots of greece where an invader advancing from the north can be brought to action in the narrow space between lake copaeus and the phocian foothills sulla had only fifteen thousand foot and less than two thousand horse but he never doubted for a moment of success he had seen asiatic armies before in their own land and had the greatest contempt for them but at first he had some difficulty in bringing over his own men to his opinion they feared the masses of cavalry and the many regiments of mercenaries equipped in the macedonian fashion with the brazen shield and the long sarissa to quiet their minds sulla had to cover his flanks with entrenchments and stockades but presently the men grew tired of the spade and asked to be allowed to fight sulla told them that they should have their will though it seemed that it was not so much courage as dislike for digging that made them so eager the event showed that an oriental army when manfully faced even by very inferior numbers would never stand firm beside a resolute attack of european troops 
there was much confused fighting but the story of the battle reads like that of the early british victories in india the odds seemed hopeless but the balance of courage compensated for them the scythe chariots of the asiatic turned out as great a fraud as they had been at kunaxa or arbella the legionaries soon learnt their futility they clapped their hands and asked for more as if they had been looking at the races in the circus the unwieldy phalanxes of infantry got into disorder and when the line of pikes was broken fell an unresisting sacrifice to the roman sword only the cavalry of archelaus gave some trouble it pierced the roman line at one point and had to be driven off by hard fighting but seeing his infantry cut to pieces the pontic general rode off the field and escaped we can hardly believe sulla's allegation that he slew one hundred thousand men in this battle more especially when he couples it with the astounding statement that he himself lost but fourteen legionaries of whom two were only missing and turned up next morning even asiatic armies cannot be routed with such a light butcher's bill and the wild lie must have been put about merely to cheer the spirits of the army and inspire them with contempt for the miserable enemy march b c eighty six but just when the subjection of greece seemed complete a new danger fell upon sulla the democrats at rome had just landed an army in epirus under the consul flaccus in order to attack him in the rear for cinna and his friends had not the magnanimity of sulla and would not reserve their swords for the foreigner or defer civil strife till the state was free from external enemies fortunately for the victor of chaeronea flaccus proved a feeble foe as was to be expected from a hero of the forum one whose only achievement had been to pass a disgraceful law which allowed debtors to pay off their liabilities by tendering one-fourth of what they owed to their unfortunate creditors the consul marched into thessaly spreading proclamations which invited the legionaries of sulla to desert the standard of an outlaw and to join the legitimate representative of the roman people but when the two armies faced each other near melitia flaccus's raw levies showed no eagerness to fight they began to pass over to sulla whose reputation as a general and notorious liberality impressed their minds the optimate on the other hand could thoroughly rely on his men though he had bought their loyalty by methods of very doubtful morality not only by paying them well but by allowing them to live at free quarters to pillage every place that offered resistance and to maltreat the inhabitants to their hearts content flaccus found his own army much more likely to melt away than that of his rival and hastily sheered off toward macedonia giving out that he would march against mithridates instead of against the optimates this he actually did to the great relief of sulla who not only was relieved of an enemy but saw that enemy doing good work for him by making a diversion in asia for flaccus crossed the hellespont and though he was soon after murdered in a mutiny his successor the demagogue fimbria continued his policy left the optimates alone and began harrying mesia and bithynia but long ere flaccus reached asia sulla was compelled to fight one more great battle in greece while he had been marching into thessaly to face the democrats mithridates had sent reinforcements to join archelaus who after his defeat at chaeronea had taken refuge at chalcis in euboea 
to watch this great army sulla had fallen back to athens where he spent the winter of b c eighty six to eighty five waiting for the enemy to move on to the mainland for as long as the pontic troops were protected by the channel of the euripus they were unassailable sulla had no fleet to ferry him over the strait and the sea belonged to his adversaries the pontic ships wandered far and wide even as far west as akinthus and there was no roman squadron to keep them in check but in the spring of b c eighty five archelaus had been strengthened by new levies till he had eighty thousand men in hand and he had been sent a colleague named dorylaus who was eager to take the offensive accordingly the pontic army crossed the straits into boeotia and gave sulla the opportunity for which he had been longing his second great battle was fought in the marshy plain near orchomenus only ten miles away from the point where he had won his first victory in the preceding year the decisive engagement was brought about by the romans commencing to run lines across the plain so as to hem in the enemy with their backs to the morasses of lake copaius as sulla had expected this manoeuvre compelled his adversaries to attack him the pontic cavalry came suddenly charging down on the half-completed entrenchments and drove back for a moment the cohorts which were covering the work seeing them give way sulla sprang from his horse seized a standard and ran to the front if any one asks you where you deserted your general he shouted to the recoiling battalions say that it was at orchomenus the taunt recalled them to their duty the line was reformed the reinforcements brought up and in the pitched battle which followed the whole pontic army was hurled into the lake and annihilated even two hundred years after that day writes plutarch bows helms broken mail and swords are still continually discovered in the mud where the fen was once choked with the bodies of the barbarians the whole horde perished only their general archelaus escaped as he had done in the previous year at chaeronea mithridates was now much cowed in spirit all his chosen mercenaries had been destroyed his foothold in europe was lost and he saw the war about to be transferred to asia for lucullus had at last collected a fleet which gave sulla that power of crossing the aegean which he had not hitherto possessed moreover fimbria was already across the hellespont and though his army was small and raw compared with that of sulla it was already giving the king much trouble accordingly he sent to ask for peace offering to abandon all that he had conquered in europe if he was allowed to retain the province of asia he promised in addition to lend the optimates a fleet a great sum of money and an auxiliary army for use against the democrats in italy but sulla was far too good a roman to allow the empire to be shorn of its wealthiest province and scorned to march against cinna at the head of a barbarian force he rejected the terms proposed to him and offered the king merely the restoration of the boundaries that had existed before the war he might keep his ancestral kingdom but he must evacuate asia surrender his fleet and pay a heavy war indemnity the pontic monarch at first thought that these terms were harder than his adversaries had any right to ask he declared that he would continue the war rather than accept them sulla then began to make active preparations for crossing the aegean at the same moment 
a great number of the states of ionia lydia and caria revolted against mithridates whose rule had been rapidly becoming unbearable as his temper grew worse and his financial demands more pressing moreover fimbria's army had pushed south and occupied pergamus after defeating the king's son in a pitched battle with a sudden descent from swollen pride to abject servility very characteristic of an oriental prince in his day of trouble mithridates sent to tender acceptance of the original terms that had been offered him he evacuated as much of the asiatic province as was still in his hands gave up seventy war galleys and paid a fine of three thousand talents he had a formal conference with sulla at dardanus in the troad where he promised everything that was asked of him and bore with humility the haughty and trenchant harangue of his conqueror who told him that he was fortunate to escape so easily as he was now doing after his unprovoked attack on rome in the day of her necessity and his wanton massacre of the italian residents in asia during the first year of the war the honour of the roman name being now fully vindicated and the boundaries of the empire restored sulla was at last able to turn against the democrats he had first to deal with fimbria whose army had pushed southward and was now lying at thyatia in lydia but when he drew near the soldiers of his adversary refused to bear arms against the saviour and champion of the roman cause in the east their general seeing his men melting away from him made an attempt to get sulla murdered at a conference and when this miserable plot failed fell upon his own sword the submission of fimbria's legions was a godsend to the optimates for sulla was able to leave them behind to garrison asia so that the whole of his own veterans could be utilized for the approaching invasion of italy having completely pacified the east and carried out in its entirety the programme which he had set before himself when he left rome in b c eighty seven sulla now turned to face homeward he was aware that he had no light task before him his military chest was full for he had levied an enormous fine of twenty thousand talents on the asiatic cities which had joined in the massacre of b c eighty eight but his army was very small he had no more than his original five legions kept up with difficulty to their full strength for roman recruits were hard to find in the east even counting a few mercenary troops which he had levied he had no more than thirty thousand men about the same number with which hannibal had invaded italy a hundred and thirty-five years before they seemed but a handful when it was borne in mind that cinna could dispose of the resources of the whole peninsula not to speak of those of the provinces of gaul spain and africa but sulla had three causes for confidence his own generalship or as he preferred to call it his luck the absolute fidelity of his legions and the knowledge that comparatively few of those who were to be opposed to him were particularly zealous to fight for the democratic cause in military efficiency each of his men was worth two or three of the raw recruits with whom they would have to deal and what soldier was likely to desert the general who had been giving him of late no less than sixteen denarii a day just thirty-two times the normal pay of the roman legionary sulla gave his enemies fair warning of his intentions before he set sail he sent a dispatch to rome 
in which he laid before the senate a detailed account of his four successful years of campaigning in greece and asia he then announced that he was approaching to chastise those who had been guilty of the massacres of the winter of b c eighty seven to eighty six not to harm the roman people he should not meddle with the rights of the newly enfranchised italian citizens nor should he do any wilful damage to italy he was the enemy not of the many but of the few and only those who had blood on their hands need fear him such a declaration was well suited to frighten the democratic government at rome for cinna and his friends knew that they were no longer popular with the country at large their three years of rule had been a disastrous failure it started with a bloody massacre which alienated every citizen of moderate mind then when constructive measures were necessary the famous democratic program had ended in a fiasco cinna had no genius in him and the code of laws which he produced turned out to be no more than a rechauffe of the out-of-date expedients of sulpicius and the gracchi which had already been tried and found wanting the one startling novelty had been the dishonest debt law of valerius flaccus which as we have already mentioned permitted those who owed money to demand a receipt in full from their creditors when they had paid one-fourth of what they had borrowed it may be guessed what was the effect of this law on the money-lending equites who had hitherto been staunch supporters of the democratic cause cinna and his friends in short had staked their success on their power to satisfy all italy and to provide a purer and more efficient government than that of the old senatorial oligarchy in this they had notoriously failed so far from being a return to the golden age the three years domination of the democratic party had been a time of massacre bankruptcy and discontent the chiefs of the dominant faction had proved windbags and dishonest windbags too of all the men who emerged as leaders in these troublous years none showed the least sign of genius save the praetor quintus sertorius the rest were noisy rather than energetic and bloodthirsty rather than resolute indeed the only men who fought with zeal against sulla were those who had compromised themselves in the massacre and knew that they were beyond the hope of pardon sulla's great advantage then was that he and his followers meant business while the majority of those arrayed against him were lukewarm but still the odds seemed so desperate in point of mere numbers that it was thought that his little army would be overwhelmed cinna had one hundred thousand men enrolled in b c eighty four and in the next year it is said that his successors hurried double that number into the field but few were eager for the fray it seemed that they were to be sacrificed to save the necks of their leaders not to defend italy for sulla kept asserting that he came as a friend to every one but the fanatics who had murdered his friends raised his house to the ground and declared him a public enemy noting the slackness of the people in the army the majority in the senate who felt themselves less compromised than their leaders voted that an embassy should be sent to sulla to see if he could not be reconciled and brought home without a war but when amid many protestations of his moderation and good intentions the proconsul answered that he must bring his army at his back to give him security and that the guilty must be punished it was evident that there was no way of avoiding the struggle 
Sinna, meanwhile, had been seized with the idea that the best way to keep Sulla out of Italy would be to attack him in Greece. He collected an army at Ancona with the intention of crossing over into Epirus. The first cohort sailed, but when the main body was ordered to embark in very stormy weather, the men mutinied. Sinna came hurrying down to appease them, but was received by a volley of stones and beaten to death. The control of his party fell into the hands of men even less capable than himself, the chief of whom were his colleague the consul Papirius Carbo, Marius the son of the great general, and Lucius Junius Brutus Damasippus. The democratic party had no longer a single autocratic leader. Cinna's three consulships had been styled a dominatio and almost a tyranny, but was ruled by a council of war destitute of any commanding personality. End of section 10